this. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we look at Matthew 24, a really hard text, um, we pray that you'd be with us and that you would give us eyes uh, to see the truth in this text. We, we pray for understanding uh, as we look at uh, how Jesus in this text predicted the future and help us understand what it is he's predicting and, and, and what's going on here. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Matthew 24, uh, Jesus has come into Jerusalem, triumphal entry that Keith talked about. Uh, he's had the conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees and, and, the, and the Sadducees, which uh, Jim covered. Uh, and now um, he is exiting the city. All right. Jerusalem is kind of located on this big mountaintop. And there is a very steep valley to the east, and then there's another mountain that comes up uh, and kind of makes this sort of a, of a shape. This is really steep uh, right through here. Um, this mountain to the east is called the Mount uh, of Olives, or sometimes we call it Mount Olivet, um, the, the Mount of Olives. Guess what grows on it? Peaches. Olive trees, good. Uh, no. How do you miss a question like that? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the Mount of Olives. So, so Jesus has been in Jerusalem. He's cleansed the temple. He's had these conflicts with the religious leaders. And now he has, uh, he, he's going to exit Jerusalem, and he and his disciples are going to literally camp out on the Mount of Olives. Um, and... Uh, Let's pick up in chapter 24. Um, somebody read verses 1 and 2 for us. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and called his attention to his body. He replied to them, Do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown All right, so here they are. They're leaving the temple, they're walking towards the Mount of Olives. And the disciples are, like, overawed by the temple building. Jesus, dude, look at how nice this temple is. And Jesus turns around and looks at them and says, you see all of this? And they go, yeah. And what does he tell them is going to happen? (coughs) What's going to happen? Yeah, it's not just a little bit destroyed, but like just super destroyed. Like no two stone. Like you imagine that a, a wrecking ball went through that wall, right? Like it's going to be broken. But you're also going to have clumps of, of stone that are still attached that have fallen over. And Jesus is saying like that. Not even that's going to be true. It's going to be broken down to dust. All right. So uh, verses one and two, as they're walking away, Jesus, look at the temple. And Jesus says, uh, the temple will be, what word should we use? Not just like broken, demolished, Demolished, you know, uh, we're going to, it's going to have the daylight beaten out of it. So that kind of shuts the disciples up and they keep walking down here and then they make it up to the Mount of Olives and they're all probably kind of looking at each other, like, what's going on here? And so, um, what does, uh, somebody read verse 3 for us. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, 
the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Oh, is that how... Who says it that way? You're coming at the end of the age. Anybody have a different translation? And of the end of the age. Yeah, um, that's, that's interesting. Um, that's, that's quite different. Uh, the first translation says, what's the sign of your coming at the end of the age? equating Jesus' coming with the end of the age. Uh, Other translations, especially if you have an ESV, I think the KJV does it this way as well. Uh, What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Kind of separating the two. Um, Let's look. So so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this same sermon from Jesus. He's about to launch into a sermon. All of them have the same sermon. Um, Let's look at how this uh, goes in the other gospels really quickly. Um, let's see. Somebody flip to Mark 13. Somebody else go to Luke 21. Somebody read, um, the question that the disciples put to Jesus in Mark 13, 4. Mark 13, 4. What is the question they put to Jesus in Mark 13, 4? Anything about the end of the age in that one? No, it's only about the temple. Jesus says, the temple's about to be demolished, and they say, tell us about when this is going to happen. Uh, what does it say in Luke 21? Uh, let me find the verse. 21.7. All right, go ahead and read it. Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Yeah, so he says, uh, not one stone will be left on another one. And then they say, when are these things going to happen? Uh, what's going to be the sign that they're about to take place? Anything about the end of the age in Luke? No, that's only in which gospel? In Matthew, yeah. Um, Let's keep that in our minds really quickly. The sermon that Jesus gives in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are almost identical. Like if uh, you've ever seen one of those books that harmonizes the three gospels, um, you'll have, there's, there's books that you can find where you'll have a page and then it'll have a column that says Matthew, a column that says Mark, and a column that says Luke. And if you look at the, the sermon we're about to go over in these three Gospels, uh, they're almost word identical. All right? Uh, Matthew's, though, has this weird little blurb about, um, tell us about the destruction of the temple and about the end of the age. Uh, Mark and Luke uh, only have, tell us about the destruction of the temple. And the sermon, the answer that Jesus gives in all three are about the same. All right, so let's keep that in mind as we as we read through this. All right, um, somebody read for us. We're back in Matthew twenty four. Uh, somebody read for us verses four through fourteen. Jesus answered, "Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear." 
must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so... They ask this question, Jesus, you see the temple, and he says, what's going to happen to the temple? Destroyed. Yeah, destroyed. And then they say, okay, tell us when this is going to happen. Tell us what's going to be the sign of this taking place. What's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then Jesus starts giving them some information. Um, He says, first of all, in in that part that, uh, that was Ashley that read, correct? Um, right, that was you. Okay. Uh, what does he say is going to happen? Kind of summarize that. Wars. Yeah, you're going to hear stuff about wars, and even if it's not real wars, it's going to be rumors that a lot of wars are going to happen, right? Uh, and then what's going to happen next in the uh, like verses nine through thirteen or nine through fourteen? What else is going to happen? Yeah, Christian persecution. Um, and then what else will happen? What's going to arise in verse eleven? False prophets, and Jesus had already said before that it won't just be false prophets, but it'll also be false messiahs. messiahs. People saying, uh, I am the Christ, look, I've come. There will be false messiahs. Um, And what good thing is going to happen in verse 14? The gospel is proclaimed to the whole world. Yeah, gospel to whole world. Uh, which probably is a reference to, like, every country has access to the gospel, right? Uh, it's not just that the Jews do. It's not just that some peoples do. It's that the, uh, that the gospel goes out to Gentiles as well. So another place where we see Matthew being a pro-Gentile book. Uh, the word nations in verse 14 could also be translated Gentiles. So you could read verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all Gentiles. And then the end will come. Okay. Uh, when was the temple destroyed? 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. Jesus is teaching all of this stuff in 30 AD. So there's, um, this sermon is being given in 30 AD. The temple will be destroyed in 70 AD. Um, the reason that the temple gets destroyed is, I, I've mentioned to you guys a few times that Judaism is a legal religion in the Roman Empire. Um, The reason that the temple is ultimately destroyed, though, 
is because the Romans put a governor over the region of Judea, where all of the Jews live. Um, And uh, this governor that they raise up, uh, this is in, I think, 66 AD. So about four years prior. It's actually three and a half years prior. just uh, 40, it's 42 months exactly before the, the temple is destroyed. Uh, they put a, a, a guy, uh, Governor Floris, right? Sounds like a flower. A name? Yeah, Floris. Uh, and Governor Floris is very anti-Jewish. And so Floris uh, starts taxing the Jews really, really hard. The Romans kind of turn a blind eye to it. And Floris also starts doing uh, things that really push the boundary of sacrilege. Um, he starts telling the Jews, you need to take a pinch of spice and you need to throw it over your shoulder. Uh, this was a way that you make a, a, a small prayer to the Roman gods or even to the emperor because sometimes he's elevated like a god. And so he starts saying, uh, you know, you, you, you can keep worshiping your one true god, but you also need to kind of give a nod to the Roman gods as well. You need to worship them. Uh, Floris at one point says... Uh, that he wants a sacrifice in the temple to be offered to Zeus instead of to the Jewish god. Is that going to go over well? No, he tries to put a statue of Zeus in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And do you know what you sacrifice to Zeus most of the time? Pigs. Yeah. Oh. So, Floris uh, is really making life difficult on the Jews. And you've got a group of Jews who don't like Romans as it is. What are they called? Zealots. Zealots. And there is a small zealot uprising that happens against Florus that gets crushed. And he lines the streets to Jerusalem with crucified people. He doesn't kill them. He, he injures them and then takes them as prisoners and then puts them on crucifixes in and out of Jerusalem so that everyone else can look at it and say, you mess with Floris, this is what happens to you. This leads the Jews, um, we'll talk about this in more detail a little bit later on, this is going to lead the Jews uh, generally to radicalize. Meaning, uh, whereas the Zealots were not the big majority group of, of Jews, uh, this is going to lead many people to, to, to join the, the zealots. And the zealots are going to attack a Roman fortress that's on top of a mountain that is called Masada. Uh, you guys who know anything about warfare, attacking something on top of a mountain, how does that usually go? Not well. Not well. Somehow they win. They take Masada, which is this huge mountain fortress not far from Jerusalem, and this really irritates the Romans. A ragtag group of, of, of Jews uh, has just taken one of our big military fortresses. And so the Roman army, led by Emperor Nero, you guys know that name probably, uh, at least a little bit. You will more in more detail as the course goes on. Um, Nero is going to start marshalling an army, and it's going to march through the region of Galilee, taking city by city as it makes its way towards Jerusalem. So prior to the temple being destroyed, you have about three and a half years of war. war. This is a bad thing for Christians, too. Uh, For a while, the Romans couldn't really tell the difference between Christianity and Judaism. Judaism was legal, so guess what Christianity was for at least a while? Illegal. Uh, Well, they couldn't tell the difference. 
they thought it was just the same. So, so there's, there's about a 30-year period where Christianity is legal in the Roman Empire because the Romans just think it's like a different type of Judaism. Um, but whenever Judaism falls out of favor, guess what that means for Christians? So there's an uprise in Christian <laughs> persecution. On top of that, um, during this period, uh, you can imagine as there are uh, this war between Rome and the Jews going on, the Jews start fostering messianic hope. Do the Jews by and large accept that Jesus is the Christ? Do they believe he's the Messiah by and large in the book of Acts, for, for instance? No. They, they think that he was a blasphemer. That's why they wanted him to be uh, crucified. So as the zealots start anticipating, okay, Rome is marching towards us. We need to fight. This is time for war. Uh, There are many people who start popping up that they think might be that Maccabean Messiah. Does that work out for them? No, it does not. But there's an uptick in this. Um, The good news is, even as this is happening, Christian missionaries are going out. They're evangelizing the nations to the extent that Paul in Colossians 2 can say this. Maybe it's Colossians 1. He says, um, the hope of the gospel that you heard has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Colossians 1 verse 23. The gospel in which you have hoped has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. He writes that uh, Paul dies by Nero's sword in the mid-60s. So before that 70 AD event happens, before the temple is destroyed, Paul in Colossians 1 can say this part has happened. The gospel has been proclaimed to all creation. What that means, um, I mean, obviously, was the was North America evangelized by this point? No. All right, you've got Native Americans in in North America; they've not heard the gospel by this point. Um, the way that Paul is understanding Jesus saying the gospel goes to all the world as a testimony to the Gentiles, the way that Paul seems to be understanding that is that it's not just the Jews who have received it, it's the Gentiles too. Paul's not understanding that as each and every individual person has heard. Paul's also not understanding that as every people group and tribe in the entire world has heard. The way that he's understanding this statement whenever we get to Colossians 1 is that the gospel has gone not only to Jews but to Gentiles too. So, question. Is there anything from Matthew 24 verses 1 through 14 that does not fit with the destruction of the temple? These are four things Jesus says will happen. Did all four of those things happen before 70 A.D.? Fun fact, uh, you know that um, scientists can like see when earthquakes have happened historically, like even um, like like people have even dated earthquakes back like a few hundred years before Christ lived, 
right? And you can see, like, um, I don't really know how that works. I think it's something with, like, sedimentary layers, and you can see whenever a big shift has occurred. The period between 30 and 70 AD had more natural disasters than any other 40-year period in the history of the Earth. We don't learn about them in Scripture, um, but that's interesting to me, right? So is there anything from this first part of the sermon that does not fit the 70 AD mark? No, all of it does. Uh, verse 14, though, somebody read it again. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The end will come. Did the end come in 70 AD? Well, ask this question. The end of what? Jesus said, back in the beginning, the disciples say, what's the sign of the temple being destroyed and of the end of the what? The end of the age. Now, you are probably tempted to read that phrase, end of the age, as referring to the end of the what? Probably the end of the earth, the end of the world. A good question to ask is, why do I think that? Is there anything in the text that demands that that's what that means? We talk about ages in a different way, too, even today. Uh, we talk about the Stone Age, the Iron Age. You've heard these terms before, right? Now, whenever the Age ended, whenever the Bronze Age ended, was that the end of the world? No, it was a new stage in history, though. Um, here's a way that you could read that. Up until the temple is destroyed, how do God's people worship? At the temple. So there is an age that we could call the age of the, of the temple. Has Jesus already told us in the Gospel of Matthew that that's coming to an end pretty soon? Yeah. Jesus is saying these things in 30 AD. So there's a little bit of an overlap, but there's a new age that's beginning. How do you worship today? Do you worship at the temple? In Jerusalem? No. You worship how? Spirit and truth. Something like that. Um, you could say age of spirit and truth or something like that. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11 seems to be working with some sort of scheme like this. And he calls, he, he does it a little bit differently. He's, he, he does it this way. Primarily, who is being saved in this first period? God's people in this first period is mainly made up of who? Jews. Jews. Uh, do Jews get saved after Jesus comes? Yeah, yeah Paul is a good example of that. Um, by and large, in the Gospels and Acts, though, uh, who is being saved? In, in the book of Acts, I know we haven't gotten there yet, but in the book of Acts, primarily, what type of people accept the Gospel? Gentiles. Uh, Paul will go into a synagogue and will preach, and a few people will get saved, 
and then they'll try to kill him, and then he'll go into the town square where it's all Gentiles, and he'll preach, and most of the people will accept it. This happens like eight times in the book of Acts. And so um, uh, Paul kind of makes that sort of scheme too. This was kind of the, the, the Jewish age. This was kind of the Gentile age. And then he talks about how at the end um, things will change one more time. It's possible, and I think it's likely, that this is what Jesus is doing in Matthew 24. The reason I think that is, Mark and Luke, did Mark and Luke say anything about the end of the age or the end of the world? No. Everything in Mark and Luke is focused exclusively on the destruction of the temple. I think that Matthew is too. I don't think that Matthew is saying, here's stuff that's going to happen in 70 AD, and then here's stuff that's going to happen in the end of the world. Try to figure it out. I think that the end of the age that Matthew is talking about in Matthew 24 is the end of the temple age. I think that this is kind of what he's talking about, this sort of, this sort of outline. So a lot of people will look in Matthew 24 for their end times theology. I don't think we should. I don't think that that is what Jesus is talking about. The question that he's been asked in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is, hey, you just said the temple will be destroyed. Tell us what that's going to be like. And then Jesus launches in on this sermon. And I I think that the entire import of this sermon is about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. I think anything he says about end of the age has to do with that. Now, um, we've got about 10 minutes left, and so we're going to keep on powering through this, and then we're going to pick it up tomorrow. We're going to see a couple of other odd things, all right? So uh, we'll, we have some more things to think about and explain, but just pausing really quickly, you guys kind of tracking with me. Okay. Um, somebody read verses 15 through 28. So let's do the same thing we did a minute ago. Um, what are the signs that Jesus is giving? And then we'll, we'll work through them one by one. Uh, what's the first thing that he says in verse 15? You'll know that this is about to happen when what happens? You love abomination of desolation. Yeah, and it, abomination of desolation was spoken about by the prophet Daniel. And 
Um, notice something really important in the text. What is in parentheses in the text? Let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. Does Matthew think his readers can know what the abomination of desolation is? Yeah. He thinks it's something for them to understand. So, um, let me just throw this out. This is an ancient people living just before 70 A.D., reading the Gospel of Matthew, is the abomination of desolation microchips. No. You know, you, you hear stuff like this. People sometimes will say the, the abomination of desolation and the mark of the beast are the same thing. They're not, first of all. There's nothing in the text to say that they are. You'll, you've heard people be like, oh, the mark of the beast is like a microchip or some crap like that, right? Or monster energy drinks. You've seen the lady that it has oh, like, six, arg- six, yeah, six, like argued that that's the 666 and you pour it back and Satan laughs. All right, did ancient people know about monster energy drinks or microchips? And the answer is no. So Matthew thinks his readers can understand what the abomination of desolation is. And he even cites the prophet. He doesn't do that very often. He even says, by the way, if you need a refresher, it's in Daniel. Go back to Daniel, right? The abomination of desolation is this. A person would arise uh, and, 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 and the person would set himself up in the temple of God as if he was God. The abomination of desolation is that the there would be a person who comes and sets himself up in the temple of God as if he is God. So for the abomination of desolation to occur, you need a what? Temple. When is the temple destroyed? 7080. So when does the abomination of desolation have to occur? Before 70 AD. Alright. You're going to ask what about them rebuilding the temple in the future? If they rebuild the temple in the future, is that a good thing? Probably not. No, it wouldn't be. Because, are we supposed to worship at the temple? No. And you worship at the temple primarily by offering... Sacrifices. Are we supposed to offer sacrifices? No. So... Any time a person offers a sacrifice, even if they think they're doing it to the God of the Bible, they are committing something other than pure worship. If the temple is rebuilt, and especially if sacrifices are performed therein, is that really a temple of the one true living God? No. And it's not worshiping as he has commanded to be worshiped. It is idolatrous in and of itself. It's not a temple of God. It's a temple of something else. So... Uh, some people think there will be a third temple that's rebuilt in Jerusalem and then the abomination of desolation will occur then. The issue is the abomination of desolation occurs in God's temple. And if another temple is built, it's not God's temple. God's temple is us because his spirit dwells within us. It's not a brick and mortar place anymore. So if there is a future temple, it is by necessity an unholy temple. And this person uh, sets themselves up in the holy place. What is that referencing? Psalm 
What is the holy place? The holy of holies. This could be a reference to one of two things. It could be a reference to uh, Governor Flores uh, trying to put an idol of Zeus in the temple. Some people go that way. Uh, Or the pig sacrifice. Um, It could also be that right before the temple is destroyed, uh, the general uh, who leads the Roman army into Jerusalem, his name is Titus, uh, he goes into the Holy of Holies and takes the official Torah scroll and puts it on the floor and brings a prostitute in. And you can connect the dots. That makes sense to me that that would qualify as an abomination of desolation. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think we can say with a good deal of confidence that this is something that had to have occurred before the temple was destroyed. The abomination of desolation is not a future thing. Uh, We'll talk about the rest of this sermon tomorrow, and then um, we'll we'll start covering the rest of Matthew.